The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Good day, good day, good day to all of you. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with... Myself, your co-host, and uh, Mr. Chris Schroeder here on Take 12 Radio at Comcast.net. Um, that is our email. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Take 12 Radio at Comcast.net is our email address. Please email us. Let us know how you're enjoying the show. And uh, if you would like a, uh, a MP3 slash DVD of this program, I'm still messing around with my sound equipment here a little bit. Bear with me, folks. Let's see. There we go. And uh, and let us know what you think. I, I really appreciate any input uh, we both do. And we have we've had quite a bit and it's all been just really encouraging. Uh, folks have said things, Chris, like uh, I never looked at it that way before. Um, I've told one 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 guy said um, I tell people all the time that every time I read this thing, um, I see something different. He said, I've seen so much more than I ever have before. Um, one lady from uh, Arizona said that she never thought that the big book could be as interesting and come alive like it has. So it's been a real treat for many, many folks. Well, I'm I'm excited about that. It's been a lot of fun for me too, and I think we I think you and I have both both learned some some new things um, going through it this time. Uh, I certainly know I have. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Okay. Bear with me, listeners. I'm still having problems with my mixer. There we go. Um, okay, we have gone through, and folks, uh, please, if you have your big book, uh, bring it out. If you have your highlighters and your pens or pencils, if you joined us for the first time, uh, remember you can go back and, and listen to um, listen to the shows here uh, via your computer. And the first shows are free to download if you'd like to, if you want to see what this is like, if you're interested in picking up the uh, MP3 and DVD um, that we're going to be coming out with very, very uh, shortly. In fact, when you do get that and you listen to this, it'll be kind of past tense. (laughs) Uh, But uh, please remember to bring out your big books, uh, and it's important. I retain so much more when I read along with somebody who's uh, reading at the same time. Now, we are, boy, we're coming around the bend here. Um, we've got one more chapter in uh, uh, the first uh, 164 pages. And then we're going to be doing, folks, something that might be a little different, is we're going to read Dr. Bob's Nightmare as well. We want to give uh, Bob and Bill equal time, right there, uh, Chris? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, I think it's only fair. Uh, so, so often <laughs> Bill's story gets uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the press. 
and people f- sometimes even forget Dr. Bob's story is in, is in the book. So right. we, we definitely want to cover that. Okay, so take us off on uh, on this week's journey, my friend. Okay, you know, Monty, what we've been doing is going through uh, in a in a very methodical manner, uh, sentence by sentence. We're not skipping anything, and we're we're trying to put it into context. We're trying to share our experience, strength, and hope with this material, um, coming from a place where where we have done this work. So we're looking, you know, we're looking back on it um, from a place of experience. <clears throat> and another thing to understand is the book Alcoholics Anonymous is the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous. A textbook usually needs to be taught, you know. So so we're we're trying to teach a little bit. We're trying to share our experience a little bit. There's probably a little bit of informed philosophy uh, that we have about this process, but um, but uh, because it is a textbook, it really really helps to to go through sure. it with someone who has more experience uh, than uh, uh, than we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's how you really get a lot out of it. So back to, back to your point, Monty. But we're we're at the chapter revision for you. This is chapter eleven. And I look at this chapter as, you know, a summation chapter. Bill is, is finishing it up, and he's talking about a vision. And I see two visions in, the, in this chapter. One vision I see is, you know, untreated alcoholism, uh, chronic alcoholism. And then I see a vision of hope, a vision of recovery. And he talks about both of those in this chapter. But we can really be hopeful. This is, this is, a, this is a great chapter for anybody out there who thinks that sobriety is the whole point of uh, of this book or you know the 12 step fellowship you'll see that that's that's not the case at all um there's uh, there's a state known as recovered uh, that uh, can be uh, can be infinitely wonderful um uh in many many different ways and he talks about that in this vision i'm going to start reading for most normal folks drinking means conviviality companionship and colorful imagination it means release from care boredom and worry it is joyous intimacy with friends and a feeling that life is good, but not so with us in those last days of heavy drinking. The old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once uh, did and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control would enable us to do, to do it. <laughs> there was always one more attempt and one more failure. You know, most normal people, um, even heavy drinkers, uh, can can use alcohol, and, al- and alcohol works as a social lubricant. It works as a, a relaxing agent. It it works uh, uh, in in many many different ways for uh, a normal person. And alcohol itself is not uh, necessarily bad or evil. What happens, though, is is with the alcoholic and the progression of alcoholism, it gets to the point where we're constantly wondering why we can't enjoy our drinking like we used to, sure. why, we, why we can't recapture some of the wonderful moments that alcohol helped us have in the past, and and we don't see we don't see why we can't figure it out, and that you know they say the the. The number one obsession of every alcoholic is thinking that somehow, someday, they'll learn to control their drinking. 
and you know that's a that's a good picture of the alcoholic. They're forever trying um, to figure it out, and it never gets any better. Only once you once you've crossed the line and you find you've lost your power, choice, and control, <clears throat> it really is very rare that you're gonna <laughs> that you're gonna be able to regain <laughs> that control. You know, no matter what um, books they try to sell right. you or pills they try to give you, it, it's it's just over. You you know you're never you're never going to be able to to control that stuff. Let me ask you this, Chris. Uh, uh, we talk about the word convinced being and being convinced. Are are, are you totally convinced that <laughs> if you put alcohol in your body, you're a dead man? I can't say for sure whether I'm a dead man, but I can say for sure that the phenomenon of craving is going to happen. Going to return, uh, yeah. If if I put enough alcohol in my body. Um, you know, um, uh, it probably would take a certain amount of alcohol to trigger the craving. Uh, it's funny that, you know, the body itself uh, creates natural alcohol. We're, we're at point zero zero two normally <laughs> because of uh-huh. uh, the way the, the body's metabolism is. And, you know, there's, um, I think it would probably take me point uh, zero five or something or, or point, uh, point one for me to get the craving going. Uh, but um, but once that you know once that craving is going, uh, mm. I'm going to have a whole lot of trouble uh, trying to trying to keep the reins yeah. on this thing. So yeah, I'm convinced that my liver and my pancreas are never going to heal to the point where they'll know they'll be able to metabolize alcohol like a non-alcoholic. I'm right. totally convinced of that. Um, you know, will will me getting drunk again cause my death? I, I don't know. You know, Monty. Here's a here's a story for you. I think I've even shared about this this uh, particular individual on earlier shows. He's the guy who's had two esophageal varices and continued to drink. Um, you know, even though twelve doctors were saying it was going to kill him, he's back in the hospital in my area again with a third of esoph- esophagus hemorrhage, mm. and now he's got real problems. He's got full blown cirrhosis of the liver. And you know this. This is an individual who was told you're going to die if you keep drinking. Thanks for the information, and kept drinking. You know this is this really is a a, a horrible, uh, cunning, powerful, uh, powerful, baffling, aggressive illness. Alcoholism. When it'll when to to know that when you drink you're going to probably die and do that anyway is just amazing. The less people tolerated us, the more we withdrew from society and from life itself. We became subjects of King Alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm. The chilling vapor that his loneliness settled down, it thickened, ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. Momentarily we did. Then would come oblivion and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen. Terror bewilderment, frustration, despair. Unhappy drinkers who read this page will understand. I don't know about you, but that rings every single bell from mm-hmm. my last several years um, years drinking. I was a shivering denizen of alcohol's mad realm, especially on the weekend. I mean, it had me so in its grip. And I was lonely. I don't know about you, Monty, but, you know, I, I put, everybody gets pushed away when, you, when you're a violent alcoholic. Everybody gets pushed away, but that doesn't mean that that you're not still lonely. 
And I would go to bars, and I would go into New York City and wander around places where I, where I shouldn't be wandering, you know, trying to, you know, uh, uh, trying to relieve some of that loneliness and strike up a friendship or something, you know, completely blown out of my mind. And it, it really, it was a nightmare. It was a decadent, decadent nightmare. And after a, a really strong bender coming to, uh, after, you know, being drunk for days, coming to the, the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, and despair. I mean, anybody that's gone through the delirium tremens, anybody who's had serious, um, uh, uh, serious withdrawal symptoms from alcohol understands that terror isn't the word for it. It is unbelievably uh, uncomfortable to go through that. And again, this is a vision of what our what our life used mm-hmm. to be like. Now and then, a serious drinker, being dry for the moment, says, "I don't miss it at all. Feel better, work better, having a better time." As ex-prom drinkers, we can smile at such a sally. We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to take half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness such as few do. He will be at the jumping-off place. He will wish for the end. There's an interesting paragraph. It starts out talking about the drinker who says, I don't miss alcohol at all. I feel better, I work better, and I'm having a better time. That's usually the person who remains unconvinced that there's a lot of work to do to mm-hmm. to move into recovery. Mm-hmm. That's usually the person who's, you know, i got to go to all those meetings, or you want me to come over and do the steps with you, or a service commitment, I'm busy. That's usually the type of person who uh, who who doesn't get it. They 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 remain unconvinced that they need uh, they need to really dedicate their life to the processes that are going to bring about their recovery. And again, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times they're not seeing things clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not seeing things from a sane perspective. Um, and they're going to continue to relapse because they're not doing enough to prevent the relapse and engage in the spiritual work that allows God to do God's job. Sure. Um, sure. And they're they're what we sometimes call you know not ready. They're, they're they're not ready. They haven't they haven't hit a bottom sufficient to convince them that they need to do the things that that you need to do to remain sober. Um, but if uh, if alcoholic, the progression is going to get to the point where he will picture. They will picture. Uh, uh, they they won't be able to picture life without without alcohol or with alcohol. And I know what that feels like too. I, I know what it feels like to know that there's probably no way you're going to be able to get away from alcohol. But there's probably no way you're going to be able to survive what it does to you. Right. It's a really, really bad place to be in, and it is the jumping off place. And some people wish for the end, and some people make the end happen. 
uh, I've I've talked uh, earlier that uh, the alcoholic is is something like 50 or 60 times more likely to take their own life through suicide than a non-alcoholic would be. And it's because they get to this pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. They get to this jumping off point where they can't, they cannot picture their life going on the way it's, it's going on. And it's a sad, sad place. We have shown how we got out from under, um, when they talked about the steps, the step process is how they got out from under. You say, yes, I'm willing, but am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum, like some righteous people I say? I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? This is another really interesting paragraph. You know, um, Monty, if I was to amble into the local, uh, a local 12-step fellowship after what I went through in 1989, and somebody was to tell me, uh, kid, you just put the plug in the jug, you just don't drink no matter what, and you keep it simple. That's not enough for me. I'm really sorry about that, but you're mm-hmm. not offering me a substitute. You're not offering me a solution. I've tried that. I've tried not drinking. I know what happens to me when I'm sober. Sure. When I am sober, sobriety becomes untenable. My emotional and and spiritual and mental state deteriorate to such a point where I just can't. I cannot deal. And alcohol uh, alcohol looms on the horizon as an answer, even a bad one. It, at least it's an answer. You know, so so uh, to to soft sell, uh, to soft sell the program of recovery, to to tell somebody that you know all you need to do is do a ninety and ninety or something. I'll tell you what: have you a sufficient substitute? Because I get a little bit of freedom, I get a little bit of, of escape with the alcohol. Yes, it causes tons of problems, but at least it's a vacation, a short vacation away from me. I can't stand me anymore. You know, have you a sufficient substitute? And the whole message I see in recovery is yes. Yes, there's a substitute. There's an amazing substitute. Everything you've ever wanted out of alcohol, everything you've ever wanted out of life is available on the other side of recovery. Mm-hmm. And that really is the great message uh, that this book shares. And it gets, it gets sold short so often in the 12-step meetings. You know what I mean, Mike? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's so much of the book that isn't even shared anymore. Um, I was in a meeting the other day, and I was uh, sitting next to a gal that she just loves it when when people read from the book and share from the book. And she said, have you noticed there hasn't been one thing, it was towards the end of me, one thing uh, really about this program even talked about today uh, in that particular meeting? And it's, it's not, it wasn't just that one meeting. I, I hear it, and I, I don't, I got to tell you, it's sad, but majority of the meetings that I go to, whether I'm uh, out on the road or just visiting, um, they really lack in the material that's in this book. You know, it really is, uh, it really is up to us if we're yeah. attending meetings where all that's being discussed is people in a very, very self-centered way updating everybody about the drama and situations in their life. 
like it's group therapy. There are going to be people that do that who are probably well-meaning meaning people. They just How do you know what you don't know? They just don't know that they've come from treatment or they've come from group therapy and they think that's how you do this 12-step thing. They don't know that they're completely wrong. It's up to the people with experience, the experienced members of that uh, particular fellowship, to, uh, to, to, to politely, I mean, you know, we don't want to shame anyone, we don't want to create further controversy, but to try to steer the meeting back to a solution. If somebody's just shared 10 minutes on their in-laws coming over and the and and the you know the dog tearing up the furniture and their ungrateful children and 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 uh, iris, you know uh, stupid and irresponsible boss if they've just shared all that stuff <clears throat> it it's up to us sometimes to share you know I I know exactly what you're talking about uh, prior to going through the fourth through the ninth step, I had resentments and misunderstandings about all these problems in my life. And until I had gone through this process, I really thought that it was the other people's fault. <laughs> and, you know, getting to the other side of recovery, I found that my problems are of my own making. Mm-hmm. It's not the situations that are my problem. It's my reaction and my attitude to them. You know, <clears throat> so... So if we share in a way like that, we can kind of flip, flip it back to uh, a, a solution. That's just one example of maybe how I would do it. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is as experienced members, as responsible members of any specific twelve-step fellowship, we, we're 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 supposed to share our experience, our strength, and our hope. Uh, our experience is what we did. Our strength is where it's brought us, uh, where it brought us, and our hope is what it's like today. And we're supposed to share that. We're not supposed to continually regurgitate the issues, problems, and situations that that we've gone through our whole lives in a way that kind of shows the newcomer nothing ever gets better. We're, we're not supposed to, we're not really supposed to do that as experienced members. Now, there's a lot of inexperienced members that are going to be in every 12-step fellowship. There's always people who don't have a working, uh, working knowledge of the 12-step recovery process. Um, sometimes we have to have some patience and tolerance uh, toward those individuals because they will drive you crazy. You know? <laughs> uh, but uh, again, as responsible members, we need to continually be pointing out that there's a solution. There's a, there's a vision. There's a vision for you. There, the, you know, recovery is possible. We, we can be happy, joyous, and free. Uh, we can have our problems solved and or removed. We can. And, you know, that's what this book promises. And, and again, you know, because uh, because of the different things that have happened in the different fellowships, um, you know, making the, the book Alcoholics Anonymous non-conference approved literature in a number of fellowships uh, that, uh, that are substance abuse uh, related fellowships was a bad idea. It was always a bad idea. You do not take the foundational 12-step document out of... Uh, the hands of the people who really need it, uh, uh, but that's done. And also, you know, taking it off the shelves at uh, the local the local meetings is a really really bad idea. Um, 
So, uh, so again, you know, as experienced members, Monty, it's kind of up to us sometimes. And that's not always going to make you the most popular person in the room, is it? No, it, it's not. And, and you know, here's here's something that just really oh, just tears me up inside when I hear uh, you were talking about uh, you know we're always going to be a certain way and and all that kind of thing, and where there's no vision. First of all. The good book said, uh, a people without a vision perish. And I, I really believe that. Um, that's a whole other show. We could talk about the difference between a vision and a goal and all that kind of thing. Uh, but, but the deal here, the deal of it is, I, I believe, is that we are moving forward. And we're not standing still. We're not moving backwards. If we're standing still, we probably are moving backwards. Uh, but we want to be moving forward, pressing on towards the prize, continually going uh, forward. Now, we have potholes on the way and speed bumps, as my wife used to call them. Uh, and and that's, that's to be expected. But we're in that momentum of going forward. And I, I hear a lot of times in, in meetings um, almost a boasting about going backwards. Statements like, I'm just a drunk. Statements like, it just, it doesn't get any better, it just gets different. Uh, and, and I'm like, well, where in the world is the hope in that? It, it, it almost seems like a badge of honor sometimes it to does. be really, really screwed up. Yeah. And admitting to it in some of the, you know, the, the current, uh, the current fellowship, you know, uh, methodology. Uh, uh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, some people really pride themselves on their ability to not do everything right, but still show up in the meeting week after week after week. That's not the goal of this whole thing. Yeah. The, survival in in meeting attendance is not the goal of recovery. <laughs> the goal of recovery is to recover and uh. get to a point where you are happy joyous and free. And uh, another thing, and I've, I've shared this a lot, is there's there's tons of heavy drinkers in AA and there's tons of heavy drug users in NA. And they can get away with being complete horses patuts year after year after year after year because they're not at a critical stage like, uh, like, like the real drug addict or the real alcoholic. Those individuals cannot uh, just show up and then admit to how messed up they are every week and have that you know, have that be a defense against alcoholism. It's not going to work. It's not. It's not aggressive enough. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of really bad information. There's a lot of really bad behavior in the twelve-step fellowships. You, you know, you, you know, you have to understand that going in. And you also have to understand that uh, the person sitting on the left of you and the person sitting on the right of you, if you're going to work a program like they are you're probably not going to make it if you're in real trouble. Uh, you're you're going to need to really pay attention to what uh, what you need to do, and not you know not try to copy other members of the group because there's a real good chance that they're not alcoholic or they're not really a drug addict. They're they're in there, you know, uh, thinking that they are, uh, but they still have power, choice, and control over uh, over when they put it in their body, and sometimes even uh, over how much they use when they do so. So they're not like you. 
if you have if if you have alcoholism or if you're really a, a drug addict and that's something else that you need to know and that's not shared you know the the chairman of the group doesn't go up and share that fact because it's just it's just looked on as so elitist or you know uh it it, cre- it creates a, a schism uh you know in the group they don't it's it's a, it's anti unity but what they're what they're realizing is is that there's just so few people uh, giving other members the dignity of an accurate appraisal by helping them go through the material in the first 60 pages of this book so that they can identify them themselves as an alcoholic or as a heavy drinker. You know, this is about freedom. It's not about, you know, membership rights. Uh, this is about this is about freedom. Uh, you you know you can get free by finding out you're not an alcoholic, just like you can get free by finding out you are and getting uh, getting a recovery experience. Yeah, and I don't want to get well. This really isn't off track. It really is on track. I back when the founders were doing this stuff, you know, I know they came across a lot of they went through a lot of trial and error, and I know they came through struggles, and they learned, and they grew, and they learned, and they grew. Um, just like we do today as far as learning and growing. But don't you think that today it seems to be a, a, more of a battle in the sense of we've got all these different ideas coming in, these new age, if you will, philosophies that that uh, are really poisonous to the true alcoholic or the true addict. And for those of us who believe in this book, who believe that God is the one that will restore us to sanity, that no human power will, and have been convinced of it because of our own experience, it becomes, I believe, um, a a responsibility that is on our shoulders that we, we do our very best to teach the newcomer properly. And I think part of that is letting the newcomer know that they need to be very careful who they listen to. Well, that takes even more responsibility when you tell them that because they're thinking to themselves, well, how do I know who to listen to? This is my first day there. But I'm telling you, Chris, one day can poison somebody enough to kill them. Just one day. And we've got so much information coming in that just is not recovery. It, it, it's a lot. It's a lot of work because you've got your, your recovery program you you come into the meetings to give away. I mean, that's what I do. I, I come in there because I, I'm giving away and want to be part of giving mm-hmm. away. Uh, and then you've got these other things you kind of have to watch. I, I don't want to call ourselves the guardians of the traditions or anything like that. But we we really do have to be careful. And that takes a lot of work, doesn't it? Uh, you know, it, it, it does. Um, with, a, with, a, with a sponsor or somebody who asks me, uh, to to work with them, uh, I'll get them over to my house, and uh, you know I'll I'll establish um, I'll I'll establish our relationship. And one of one of the aspects of the relationship is you're giving me spiritual consent to be honest with you, and you're gonna you're gonna be listening to me more than you're gonna be listening to every other person. I don't, I don't want you coming back to me and saying, well, you're saying this, and how are you saying that? If you're asking me to to work with you, you know you're giving me the benefit of of the doubt, and I'm I'm hope, and uh, you know I'll also basically say where my stuff come from comes from is it comes from the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where it comes from. 
if there's anything I'm sharing with you that that can't be reconciled somehow with the book, you know, feel feel free to to ignore that. Ignore that, but but understand that 90% of the stuff that's that's shared in the meetings doesn't come from the book. It comes from uh, self-help books. It comes from uh, Oprah and uh, and <laughs> you know you know Doctor Phil and and all kinds of other influences that people have. It comes from therapeutic environments. It comes from treatment. It comes from all over the place. Um, you know, if if you want a recovery experience, the best place to find that is in this particular book. I don't care what anybody says, and believe me, I, you know I'm wrapped around the professional community and in, in treatment. Uh, I've read a gazillion self-help books. I've read a, a gazillion New Age books. I've read a gazillion Christian books. I've read a gazillion uh, Buddhist books, American Indian books, Hindu books, uh, Muslim books. I, you know, I understand the continuum of spiritual information that's out there. And, you know, specific to alcoholism is this process right here. Its, it's only job is to bring about a state called recovered for the alcoholic. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not about uh you know making you rich or any other thing. It's it's very very specific. So, you know, if you suffer from alcoholism, let's get that done. Okay? Let's get through these steps. And then if you feel like uh, like like reading all that other stuff, if you feel like, you know, going into left field with some of your spiritual practices, at least at least you'll you'll most likely be safe and protected in doing so. Don't get involved in those right off the bat. Uh, I'll give you a for instance about you know what hit me when I was first in uh, in support groups. One of the things that was big at this time was the wounded inner child. Okay, uh-huh. uh, Bradshaw and the wounded inner child. That's very very valid therapeutic um, stuff. Okay, the shows were on TV, but what happened was a whole bunch of the people from my support fellowship started going in that direction and then bringing that back into the meetings and saying, you know, I've discovered that, you know, my alcoholism is caused by having a wounded inner child. Well, well, no, <laughs> I, would, I certainly wouldn't say that, and I certainly wouldn't say by healing your wounded inner child you're going to recover from alcoholism. I, I, th- I think that it's a, that's a valid therapeutic technique for some uh, areas of your of your psyche and your emotional state. Uh, uh, sure, take you know, go at that, but go at that afterward not instead of go at that after you've gotten to the 12th step and you're sponsoring other people through this program you've made all of your amends you're praying and you're meditating you're 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 being held accountable to a sponsor or a spiritual advisor you're being completely honest uh, you know with at least one other person you have consistent meeting attendance and then you know what if you want to if you want to uh, uh, heal your wounded inner child go at it but don't bring that back into the meeting. So we, we don't have any opinion on outside issues, and I'll tell you right now, that's an outside issue. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. Does that make any sense? Oh, ab- ab- it makes absolute sense. And besides, you're going to get really confused. Yeah, you, you know, somebody will come up and, and say, you know, I found out that shame is what's my real problem. Uh, okay, okay, well, if you tell that to somebody who has three days sober, you may be killing them. Uh-huh. Because shame is only one symptom 
of a much larger problem called alcoholism. Yes, they they'll relate to shame, but you you don't you don't you don't treat one symptom when you have five hundred of them. <laughs> what you do is you treat the underlying causes and conditions yeah. of uh, of your illness. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know there's there's so there's so many uh, detours and distractions and and voices crying in the wilderness to go this direction or that direction that you know sometimes you're you're, you're gonna you know you're, you're gonna go the wrong way. Um, again. Uh, get yourself an experienced, responsible spiritual advisor or sponsor if you're going through this process. Somebody who's been through this and can and can save you all of the time of going down all these dead ends that are only going to end in relapse or you know no significant increase in your quality of life. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the substitute here because they said, "Have you a sufficient substitute?" And again, I relate a lot to this because you, you got to give me something. I mean, alcohol was uh, a torturous, unrequited type of lover, you know. But but lover it was. And if if you're going to tell me that all I'm going to have is sobriety, there's going to come a period of time where it, that's just not going to be enough for me. Uh -huh. So yes, there is a substitute, and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will, some, uh, will mean something at last. The most satisfying years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship, and so will you. Now these are really significant promises. These are some of the 12 steps, some of the fellowship promises. Let's, let's look at them. You will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Those are good things, Monty. How much, how much boredom and worry and caring about things we, 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 we had no control over, how, how much was that occupying our minds? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, finding a release from that is significant. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. You'll have true meaning to your life by engaging uh, in, in the fellowship. Uh, and remember, the, the fellowship is coming after the program here. They're talking about the fellowship in the last chapter. They're not talking about the fellowship. They're not saying bring him to a meeting in the beginning of working with others. They're saying take him through the steps. Right. So the fellowship is something that should come after the working of the steps. That's not the way it happens most of the time today. Most of the time today, we're exposed to the fellowship, and if we're lucky, we find a recovery process within the fellowship. But that's not how they did it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And probably one of my favorite, one of my top five uh, promises in this book, the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. So the happiest years you're going to experience, the most satisfactory years, are going to lie ahead of you. I used to always look back on, you know, the high school years or the college years and think, you know, that's I really had it going on then. Uh, you know, I had the women and the friends and the cars and, you know, the parties. Now, now I'm now I'm stuck in this room drinking myself to death. And I'll tell you what, the most satisfactory years of my existence did lie ahead. But they only lay ahead, you know, after the process of uh, the 12 steps. Mhm. Mm 
How does that to come about, you ask? Where am I to find these people? And to put the book in context, there were two AA groups when the book was written. They expected this book to be mailed all around the country, maybe the world, and people to find mail-order recovery through this book by doing what it tells you to do in it. So they're explaining where this fellowship is going to come from. You're going to meet these new friends in your own community, near you. Alcoholics are dying helplessly like people in a sinking ship. If you live in a large place, there are hundreds, high and low, rich and poor. These are future fellows of Alcoholics Anonymous. You're supposed to create your own fellowship by finding people to take through the steps and then engage them in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what this book is telling you to do. Among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties, for you will escape disaster together, and you will commence shoulder-to-shoulder your common journey. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. It may seem incredible that these men are to become happy, respected, and useful once more. How can they rise out of such misery, bad repute, and hopelessness? The practical answer is that since these things have happened among us, they can happen with you. Should you wish them above all else and be willing to make use of our experience, we are sure they they will come. The age of miracles is still with us. Our own recovery proves that. Our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched on the world tide of alcoholism, defeated drinkers will seize upon it to follow its suggestion. Many, we are sure, will rise to their feet and march on. They will approach still other sick ones, and a fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous may spring up in each city and hamlet, havens for those who must find a way out. Okay, I want to look at this paragraph, because this is not how the fellowship uh, uh, grows anymore, unfortunately. Uh, They expected when this book was launched, when it was published and people started to buy it, defeated drinkers would seize upon it, follow its directions, take the steps. Then they, they will rise to their feet and march on. They will approach still other sick ones, and fellowships of Alcoholics Anonymous will spring up in cities and hamlets um, and havens for those who must find a way out. Unfortunately, most of the time, meetings grow today because of resentments. And and all it takes <laughs> is a coffee pot and a resentment, and you can start a meeting. And un, un, unfortunately, they don't start like this much anymore. Uh, I I don't know of one one twelve step group uh, that started because one person was finding people who were still drinking or using, uh, took them to through the steps, and then created. Uh, created a group out of those people. That's not how it happens anymore, but we should look back on this. We should look back on this and ask ourselves, why? I will tell why you, isn't it happening anymore? Chris, should it continue to happen this way? Chris, I, uh, it's very interesting because there was a Narcotics Anonymous meeting uh, that was being held at uh, Lebanon Foursquare Church, Lebanon, where I attended, and it it started that way. Uh, they uh, some folks saw a need. They uh, they went out and informed people uh, that they were starting, and it started up. Now there's a really interesting thing that happened. They were going through the material, 
they were uh, working the step. I mean, they were really doing the deal. People were recovering. Uh, probably a good 20, 25 people out of that group ended up going back to church. Like our book talks about many people went back to their religious roots and so forth. Sure. Um, it was working the way it was meant to work. And, uh, you know, in AA, we have districts and regions. So well, at NA, they have areas. Well, the area made up of all these other meetings began to get very upset with the Tip the Scales Overgroup and Narcotics Anonymous. They became extremely resentful. Isn't that interesting? Oh, I, I, I got to tell you, you know, I'll, I'll be I'll be honest with you, Monty, and, and you know, I'm I'm almost ashamed of this, but I believe in in operating. If you're going to operate the way this book tells you to operate, you almost have to operate outside the structure of uh, of of uh, your 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 service groups and areas. Uh huh. You almost do. I'll give you, for instance, there's there's an there's an intergroup uh, meeting that uh, I've heard people tell me about in our area, and uh, uh, because there's a real renaissance going on uh, in, in this area, most meetings that are that are starting up are big book. So if there's a new meeting going into the book, most likely it's a big book meeting, and this freaks out a lot of the people at the intergroup meetings. They 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 see it as a threat to the status quo. All these big book people, you know, why, why, why aren't there, you know, discussion meetings or step meetings starting? All, all, all these meetings are big book meetings. They're trying to find ways to not allow them to go in the book, and they're trying to find ways to take them out of the book if they hear something that, you know, they don't particularly feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna stand up for uh, for the process. Uh, in this book, you're almost going to have to operate outside of um, the service structures. It's it's just it's just too uncomfortable to be working within those structures. There are so many inexperienced um, inexperienced people who become service representatives. They haven't really gone through the steps. They don't sponsor people through the steps. Uh, they don't pray and meditate. You know, uh, they, they don't have a really strong program, yet they've ended up as a, a DCM or a trustee or a GSR or an intergroup rep. And and they find, uh, they find people coming from this book very, very threatening. Mm. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a real shame that people who are actually trying to follow the instructions in the basic text of the fellowship get a hard time for doing so or are, or are looked, looked on with suspicion for doing so. But that's really the case these days. And you know, I've gone through my periods of time where, in in my support fellowships, I've I've uh, I've held different uh, different uh, you know um, uh, service positions, and I've found it incredibly frustrating because there's little or no effort being made to carry the one-on-one message of recovery to the still suffering alcoholic. It's more about literature sales. It's more about you know treasury statements. It's more about you know New York wants this or New York wants that, and it's really frustrating for somebody who is feeling driven to carry the message to the still sick and suffering uh, alcoholic in the way this book tells you to do it. You know, it's it's one it's, you know it's one thing to to tell your story, 
you know, in a prison or, or, or a treatment center. It's a whole nother to do what this book tells you to do, which is find a prospect who's really ill and take him through the steps. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I sure do. And uh, and especially in my area, we're really close to New York, and the New York influence is uh, is negative as far as this book and the processes in this book. Akron less so, you know, and it's always been that way. Akron has always been uh, much more inf- uh, much more influential as far as the spiritual processes, the steps, God. New York, it, it, for the most part, has has been you know not so much god this book the steps uh it's been more uh psychological and fellowship driven um and uh you know so uh, i've i've felt it in this area in a very strong way and i you know i hate to sound i hate to sound negative toward toward the uh toward the structure of uh of the fellowship that uh that led me to recovery and that saved my life but but you know there are inexperienced uninformed people in positions that are that that can cause a lot of harm and mm-hmm. you know that's <laughs> if you look in the if you look back to the 30s and 40s nobody got into this fellowship uh without going through the steps in this day and age uh, you're in a minority if you actually have a have step experience or or you're a recovered alcoholic you're in the mino- minority yeah, and uh, and and again, there's there's unbelievable uh, misunderstanding that that uh, that pervades a lot of groups and and a lot of the structure that groups uh, tend to rely on, uh, um, you know, as a support mechanism, and that's just kind of the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, so there's uh, exceptions to the rule, and there's areas that are strong, and, and yeah. then there's areas that are really really weak. Yeah, yeah. Chris, we we are about out of time. I'm, I'm going to need to cut it short today. Um, sure. Can we stop here and pick this up next week? Absolutely. Okay. Good, folks. We're on uh, we're on page 153, I believe, and we're at the last two paragraphs uh, on 153, beginning in in the chapter working with others, and we'll pick up uh, there again next week as uh, we walk through the big book. Chris, thank you. You're welcome, Monty. It's always a pleasure. And remember, folks, uh, if you'd like a, a copy of this on DVD, uh, you can email us here at take12radio at comcast.net, uh, or you can call us at 541-926-5806 as well, and we'll tell you how you can uh, take part in that. Uh, folks, don't forget all the other shows that we have during the week. Uh, we, we, we love you. We're glad you're here. And, and, and here's something, Chris, that I just love. If I tell you I love you, one of the things I promise you is that when you offend me, not if you offend me, but when you do, I'll forgive you. And I'm going to love you enough to tell you the truth. How's that? (laughs) I would rather step on your feelings than step on your grave. (laughs) That's right. All right, my friends. Uh, Thank you, Chris, once again. Everybody, all you recovery crazy people out there. We love you. Don't forget to come back next week where, once again, Chris Schroeder and I walk through the big book. Bye-bye.
This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs>